we're again for our final week and fifth week are in Psalm 23. And what a blessing this psalm is. And I think it will bless our hearts again this morning as we contemplate. We're so we're so blessed to have uh, Philip Keller. He wrote the classic work, a Psalms, a Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And a man with experience in the 20th century shepherding a flock came to understand the meaning of this psalm in in ways that had not been written down before. And so I thank God for his his book that he wrote that has been a blessing and became a classic work on this psalm. So we'll begin by reading Psalm 23 once again. David, inspired by the Lord, writes, my Lord, or the Lord, excuse me, or Yahweh, I'm trying to think of Yahweh, is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, this morning we thank you that through faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, we have come into your sheepfold, and there we will dwell forever and ever. Lord, what a blessing to know you, the only true God, and to know your Son, whom you have sent, who paid the sin debt, who took our sin, who took your wrath that we might come into a relationship with you through faith and be born from above, that we might truly enter your sheepfold and all the blessings that come with that. Lord, we can say with David this morning, my cup runs over. God, thank you for every spiritual blessing that we have in heavenly places in Christ. God, may this become real to us this morning. May we look away from all the issues and the problems and the threats of this world and look to you and find that security that is only found in you. Open our eyes, God. Continue to open our hearts to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, by way of review, I want to go through what we've discovered thus far. So we'll take a few minutes to do that because I want it to be in the context. I want to remind you of that context. And you see that David begins with those words, the Lord or Yahweh, Yahweh in the Hebrew is my shepherd. Yahweh is the covenant name, the personal name the most holy name of God. He is the eternal, self-existing, 
self-sufficient, unchanging, uncaused, ungoverned God, the creator God. And David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, I shall not want. David means that there's absolutely no lack in him, that all his needs are found in Yahweh. Then in verses 2 through 6 that we'll finish today, David exposits these words, I shall not want. He begins in verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And as we've said in the wilderness of this world, the scriptures are the green pastures so that the word of God is like the green vegetation of early spring. God's words are always fresh, always rich, always tender and always satisfying. And they are never exhausted. And once we feast upon them, we lie down and rest in God's good and perfect promises, his precious promises. He continues, he leads me beside the still waters. Here David speaks of the graces of the Holy Spirit, like resting waters. The Spirit of God cleanses us. He refreshes us. He gives us life. He quenches our thirst. He sustains us, and he gives us peace. Even though we're walking through the darkness of this world, sometimes more than others, It doesn't matter what we're facing. He leads me to that place of peace by his gracious spirit. And then he writes, he restores my soul in verse 3. It is by the spirit of God working through the word of God that we're restored. And as we walk through this weary world, we desperately need that kind of restoration, continual restoration. We need the daily illumination and application of God's word by the spirit. He continues. Again, in verse three, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The good shepherd, Yahweh, guides his sheep into righteous living. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart unto holiness. It's a progressive leading that we might live up to his likeness or according to his likeness. He leads me in the path, paths of righteousness for his namesake. And as we've said, righteous living is certainly for our good, but by his grace, our righteousness is for his glory, that his name would be exalted. And that's what it's all about, the glory of God. That is our goal, and that should be our purpose. He continues, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, Yahweh, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No matter how dark the valley, even if it means death itself, we can say with David as believers, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, my shepherd who is Yahweh carries a rod that is royal authority. It is the rod of his word that protects me and disciplines me and identifies me, counts me as his sheep. He carries a staff, even the spirit of truth, who brings us to a close relationship right by his side and close to one another. And he uses that staff. He uses his spirit to guide us through the dark valleys of life. Because Yahweh is our shepherd. Because he is our good shepherd, we have absolutely no reason to fear, no matter what we face in this life. 
Then last week, we considered verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. During the summer months, the shepherd would take his sheep to the high mountain country, to the tablelands that David calls here the table. The shepherd would choose the best table, the best pasture for his sheep. He would scatter salt and minerals that they might maintain hydration, and he would remove any poisonous weeds. And that's exactly what Yahweh does for his sheep. He prepares a table for us, even the life every circumstance of life that we will live and nothing that remains on that table when he's ready and prepared it for us is greater than we can bear. By his preparation, we receive adequate spiritual nutrition and we can rest in his promises and grow in his grace. He does all this in the presence of our enemies. Not so that we could be proud or arrogant, but that we would be grateful and thankful unto Yahweh, our shepherd. And just as the shepherd would anoint the heads of the sheep with oil to protect them from nasal flies, to protect them from parasites that cause scabbing, to protect them from the dangers of rutting season, Yahweh anoints us with his spirit he protects our minds so that we are not distracted by the little things in life that drive us up the wall, so that we're not contaminated by false beliefs and false practices, so that we do not destroy one another, but bear one another up in the body of Christ. In light of all this, David says, my cup runs over. Think of it. This is exactly where we pick up today. What did David mean by the words, by the phrase, my cup runs over? Run over is simple. It means to overflow. It speaks of an abundance. It's more than is needed. Not just adequate, but more than is needed. The cup, however, that's what confuses people. It means one's lot or experience in life, whether it's joyful or sorrowful. David declared in Psalm 16:5, Yahweh is my portion, is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot, or my lot, excuse me. So justice when a cup is filled with drink and is set before you, in the following moments you experience what that cup holds, whether pleasant or awful, sweet or bitter, good or bad. David's cup in Psalm 23 speaks of his lot or experience in life, and it was nothing but good and overflowing. The scripture speaks of many cups, the cup of fury, the cup of trembling, the cup of demons, the cup of horror, horror and desolation, the cup of the Lord's right hand, the cup of drunkenness, the cup of his indignation, the cup of his anger, when referring to Mystery Babylon in the book of Revelation, it is the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath and the cup full of abominations. The Gospels also refer to a cup, the cup of suffering, of crucifixion. Jesus said to the mother of Zebedee's son, 
you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm about to drink? Matthew 20. Jesus prayed in Matthew 26, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. However, in the upper room, Jesus drank the cup and gave thanks, knowing full well what his cup would mean, the cup of suffering. But the scripture speaks of the cup of consolation, the cup of salvation, the cup of the new covenant. Paul referred to the communion cup as a cup of blessing and the cup of the Lord. It is certainly obvious that sometimes our cup or our lot in life means difficulties. The Christian life is not easy. We know that. Following the Lord does not necessarily bring health, wealth, and pleasure, does it? No. Rather, it brings usually difficulties, adversities, and God has promised persecution. There's in every believer's life some degree of the cup of suffering. Certainly not like what Jesus spoke of, but there is suffering in the Christian life. But David writes here, my cup runs over. He's not referring to the cup of suffering, but a cup of abundant blessing. Remember the setting. Summer's coming to a close. The sheep had been feasting on the tableland that had been prepared for them by their shepherd. So the sheep were at their fattest. What an intimate, close relationship they had had with their shepherd during those long summer months. He was their provider, their protector, their God, and their friend. Now the sheep were heading back home. Everything was perfect. No wonder David wrote, my cup runs over. But we must understand the journey back to the ranch meant that the sheep, the shepherd would soon lead his sheep. Let me say that again. The journey back to the ranch meant that the shepherd would soon lead his sheep back through those dark valleys, a cup of dangers and difficulties. You see, the cup of blessing does not mean that there are not dark valleys. And that's what we need to understand. The cup of suffer, the cup of blessing that's talking about this abundant cup that David is writing about here does not mean that there's not dark valleys. It means that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, Yahweh, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they covered me. It means that Yahweh, our protector and comforter, is always with us, leading us no matter how dark the valley might be. I remind you of this cup, this cup of suffering, for this reason. In the Garden of Gethsemane, our Savior submitted to his Father's will, to the cup of suffering. Jesus prayed, but the cup of suffering did not pass him by. You see, there was no other way to redeem the lost sheep. Than by suffering, he took the cup of suffering. He took the cup of suffering, Vanessa. Get me some water. He took the cup of suffering. It was a cup of separation, 
It was a cup of God's wrath. He took the ultimate cup of suffering that we might have the cup of blessing and fellowship and communion. You see, because of him, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But as the sheep would lead his sheep, as the shepherd would lead his sheep through the dark valleys, false snowstorms could overtake them. Often they did. Sometimes the little lamb would become chilled from exposure. Philip Keller writes, In tending my sheep, I carried a bottle in my pocket containing a mixture of brandy and water. Whenever a ewe or lamb was chilled from undue exposure to wet, cold weather, I would pour a few spoonfuls down his throat in a matter of minutes. The chill... The chilled creature would be on his feet full of energy again. The Palestinian shepherd did much the the same. And yet he would give them a little wine when the sheep became chilled or frozen. What a picture of our Lord sharing his lifeblood on Calvary's cross. He took the cup of suffering that we might have the cup of blessing. This does not mean that we will escape the difficulties of the Christian life. Again, the answer is no. It means that no matter what we face, we do not need to fear anything whatsoever. For he, Yahweh, is with us. It means the spirit lives in us. That he is our comforter, John 14, 26. He is the one called along beside us to help in the time of trouble. He's always there. He's always faithful. He is our comforter. He is our helper in the time of need. So now we come to verse 6. With all that in mind, where David writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. From a sheep's perspective, this is as good as it gets. Sheep with such a shepherd as this had a privileged position. They knew nothing but goodness. They knew nothing but mercy. Their shepherd faithfully watched out for their very best. But this is not just a story about a shepherd named David and a sheep, is it? We've seen that. This is a story about a shepherd named Yahweh and a sheep named you and me. In Psalm 23, we see an eternal self-existing God who has provided our every need. I shall not want. We see a God that's provided for our spiritual need so that we can rest in his provision. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. We see a gracious God leading us into peace that he has made for us. He leads me beside the still waters. We see a God who is not willing that any of his sheep should perish, but he leaves the 90 and 9 and goes and rescues that wayward sheep. He restores my soul. We see a righteous God that makes us new creatures and leads us to walk in his ways. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. We see a faithful God that leads us, leads us through the difficult, dark valleys of life, never leaving our sides. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, for Yahweh, you are with me. 
we see a protecting and a comforting God that by the word of his power protects, examines, and disciplines us. And through his gentle spirit, he guides and rescues and comforts us. He draws us close to himself and he draws us as a church, as the body of Christ close to one another, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We see a providing God that provides spiritual nourishment as the enemies of God watch helplessly at a distance. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We see a concerned God that anoints us with his Holy Spirit to protect us from the fly in the ointment, from the thinking of this world, from the destruction that can come from disagreements within God's family. You anoint my head with all with the Spirit of God. We see Yahweh, a God so good that his sheep are overcome with blessing that continually come their way. All these blessings, they're over, overwhelmed, they're overflowing. My cup runs over. Folks, we're not talking about any made-up God. We're not talking about the God of the heathens that is fake, that is unreal, that is no truth in whatsoever. We're talking about the eternal, self-existing, created Creator God, aren't we? We're talking about Yahweh. David proclaims in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is faith in the shepherd. This is confidence in the future that we have because we have him or because he has us. How do you, how many of us truly feel this way about our lot in life? Can we say with David, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Can you say that with David? How many of us really believe that no matter what comes our way, we are being led by the grace and mercy of our shepherd It is easy to say this when all is well, when our loved ones are healthy, when the bills are paid, when family life is good, when I have friends by my side. But what about when life goes sour? Can you say it when you're sick with cancer? Can you say it in the emergency room when your child has been in a horrible accident or maybe he's passed on? Can you sit in the courtroom awaiting a bankruptcy hearing? Can you sit when you're found guilty of a crime that you've never committed? Can you sit when your children are running from the Lord? Can you sit when your friends are critical like Job's were? Or maybe they're nowhere to be found. David says with great confidence, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You see, anyone can say it when things are going well, but the real test of faith comes in the valley of the shadow of death. David knew about these valleys, literally by leading his sheep through them, figuratively by living in them, being chased by Saul a man after his life. What will will determine how we face the dark valleys of life? It is simply one word. 
It is faith. It is knowing Yahweh, the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep, really knowing him. It is knowing his promises. It is knowing that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Because Yahweh is our shepherd, we can say with David, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then finally, we come to the last expression, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. It could be applied that way. The sheep are so utterly satisfied with their cup in life, so fully content with the care that they had received of their shepherd, so fully she so fully pleased to be a part of his sheepfold, so at home in the herd that they had no desire for change. The word house here has a broader meaning than you might think. We normally speak of like the house of the Lord as a sanctuary, a tabernacle or a temple. But the psalmist is writing from the perspective of the sheep. The sheep are not excited about coming back to the ranch, to the barn for the winter months, are they? David is reflecting on the full round of the year's activities for the flock. So the house of the Lord for the sheep was the family. It was the household of Yahweh, the household of the good shepherd. It was being a part of the flock. The sheep are so deeply satisfied with the flock to which they belong, so satisfied with their shepherd that they have no desire for change. They have no want. They lack no good thing. Everything is there in their good shepherd. It's provided by the shepherd. Of course, those for those of the sheepfold. Speaking of us. We look forward to the glorious appearing of our Savior. We look forward to heaven that is guaranteed by the grace of God. But we wait patiently because we already live in the house of the Lord. We're already a part of his household. We see that in the epistles made very clearly. And we can say that whether we wake or whether we sleep, we live together with him. As Paul said, we're already at this very moment seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. So God's people know with confidence that they're in the right sheepfold, that we have the right shepherd even Yahweh, we know that he will not let us go astray. We can say with confidence, as David said, I will dwell in the house, the household of the Lord forever. In this phrase, it's as if they've just arrived home and the sheep are standing at the fence, bragging to the less fortunate in another fold. Think of it that way. You know, sometimes we as Christians should be more like this, not proud or boastful in ourselves, but boastful in the Lord, saying, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack no good thing. That's the attitude that we're to have. Paul wrote to those in Galatia, but God forbid that I should boast, 
except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we boast in him, our Savior, with Yahweh as our shepherd. Folks, we have something to brag about, not ourselves, but him. We boast in him, don't we? Well, the last words of Psalm 23 caused 20th century shepherd Philip Keller to write this. And listen well. I can never meditate on this last phrase in the psalm without their welling up in my memory, vivid scenes from some of the early days of my first sheep ranch. As winter with its cold rains and chilling winds came on, my neighbor's sickly sheep would stand huddled at the fence, their tails to the storm, facing the rich fields in which my sheep flourished. Those poor abused Neglected creatures under the ownership of a heartless rancher had known nothing but suffering most of the year. With them, there had been gnawing hunger all summer. They were thin and sickly with disease and scab and parasites, tormented by flies and attacked by predators. Some were so weak and thin and wretched that their thin legs could scarcely bear their scanty frames. Always there seemed to lurk in their eyes the slender, faint hope that perhaps a bit of luck could break them through the fence, or they could crawl through some open hole to free themselves. Occasionally this used to happen, especially around Christmas. This was the time of of extreme tides when the sea retreated far out beyond the end of the fence line, which ran down to it. The neighbors emaciated, dissatisfied, hungry sheep would wait for this to happen. Then at first chance, they would go down on the tidal flats, slip around the end of the fence, and come sneaking in to gorge themselves on the rich green grass. So pitiful and pathetic was their condition that the sudden feast of lush feed to which they were unaccustomed often proved disastrous. Their digestive systems would begin to, to, to scour, and sometimes it even led to death. He says, I recall clearly coming across three of my neighbor's ewes lying helplessly under a fig tree near the fence one drizzly day. They were like three old, limp, gray, sodden sacks collapsed in a heap. Even their bony legs would no longer support them. I loaded them into a wheelbarrow and wheeled them back to their heartless owner. He simply pulled out a sharp knife and slit all three of their throats. He could not care less. End of quote. What a picture of Satan who holds the ownership of so many. It pictures the spiritual condition of those without Christ, that they're dead spiritually and dying physically, suffering from the effects of the curse, separate from the one who gives life, the one who is life. Those sheep had not come into the sheepfold through the proper gate. Philip Keller could not let them in. They were owned by another. These sheep, maybe we should say goats, had tried to enter God's fold their own way. 
but you cannot enter God's fold but one way. I've not told you this, but basically because it's outside the immediate interpretation of our text. But when the shepherd took his sheep to the tablelands, he would build a sheepfold. He would use stones or existing brush or some fence line, maybe these things together, to build an enclosure for his sheep to protect them from predators at night. And during the evening, he would call his sheep and they knew his voice. They would come to him. They would enter the sheepfold and he would count every sheep as they entered. He knew his sheep and the sheep knew him. And then for the whole night, the shepherd would sit or lie in the doorway so that no predator predator could get to the sheep. They had to get through him to get to the sheep. You see, they were entering a place of safety for the night. A place of security. A place protected by the good shepherd, their shepherd. Isn't this exactly what Jesus meant when he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. That's exactly the picture that we find in John 10, 9. You see, the sinner must admit that they're outside the sheepfold, alienated from the good shepherd, alienated from God. We must all recognize that we're sinners by birth and sinners by choice. We continually fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, there is none good. No, not one. Not even you and not even me. Because God is holy and cannot look upon sin, we're separated from all of his grace and all of his mercy. We're separated from his holy presence. We deserve to be eternally separated from him, from his goodness. We deserve to be exposed to his wrath forever, outside the sheepfold, vulnerable, awaiting attack, awaiting destruction. You see, we must admit that there's no safety from God's judgment apart from the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the way to the place of safety. He gave his life for the sheep. We must believe that his death is efficacious for all who believe. In other words, it is sufficient for all who believe. It is saving for all who believe. For all who come to him in repentant faith. Trusting him as Lord and Savior. Have you been born again? Born from above, literally born from above. Has God given you a new heart? Do you have new desires? Do you want to please this one that the word of God proclaims? If not, repent. Repent of your sins and look to Christ. Look to the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Jesus also said, said to Thomas, I am, and this is important, I am hey hadas, the way. I am hey alathea, the truth, not a. It's not an indefinite article. It's hey, the truth. And I am hey zoa. The life. 
There's no question about it. And if you had any question at that point, the Lord Jesus leaves no question when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is the only way. If you try to enter any other way, it's impossible. You're not one of the sheep. But God's real sheep enter by the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God tells us. For all those who come to the Father through Jesus Christ have life. They can say with David, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the household of the Lord forever. If you have come to him by faith, we invite you to worship with us this morning, remembering the Lord's death. You know, what a glorious part of the worship service is the communion service. It pictures that the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. That he died in our place. We've already alluded to some of this, but the unleavened bread represents Christ's sinless body that was broken by the wrath of God, bringing us into his holy presence, bringing us into the Father's presence. The wine represents the cleansing blood of Christ, and just as the wine in Scripture represents Celebration and blessing. A lot of scriptures point to that, right? It also represents the wrath of God, the judgment of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ took our wrath that we might have his blessing. By his blood, there is complete and eternal forgiveness of sin. Ladies and gentlemen, the good shepherd became one of the sheep. He took on human flesh that he might bear the sins of his people. The just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you know him? Does he know you? Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He is the mediator of the new covenant. We come into covenant relationship with God through him, through his blood. We enter that eternal covenant. We are brought into the blessings of Abraham. We become sons of Abraham and children of the everlasting Lord. We must prepare our hearts. What a profound moment in time that we enter 
enter into each week to celebrate the Lord's death, to remember his death. We must not take it lightly. This is a time of worship, folks. This is a time of remembrance, what Christ did for us. We must not enter it with sin in our hearts. Repent of those sins, confess them before God, and receive God's forgiveness, and then partake in a worthy manner. That is what the Lord commands us to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.